morning. Glad you're here. Those of you watching at home, welcome, welcome. Glad that you are here as well. Um, if you have a Bible this morning, I'm going to invite you to turn to the book of Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. Now, if you've been tracking along with us, you know uh, that that's a little bit different than where we went. We've been preaching um, through the book of Matthew um, 5, 6, and 7, this, what's called the Sermon on the Mount, and you think to yourself, we've skipped ahead. Yes, yes, we have. That's an important um, thing just to recognize. I'm grateful that you did. <clears throat> but also, here's the explanation, is that chapter 5, verse 20, and chapter 5, verse 48, um, they, they form um, the kind of bookends of some amazing teaching about how the kingdom comes in our lives and when it comes in our lives, uh, the effects of it, uh, how it addresses anger, how it addresses desires that get unruly um, or are mismanaged, how it um, helps us understand God's purpose in marriage, um, how it helps us deal with our words, how it helps us deal with those who do wrong against us. So we kind of work through, uh, we, excuse me, we will be working through all of that. We have Advent um, over the next uh, four Sundays coming up. Um, we'll kind of pause through that, and then we'll pick back up in January uh, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. So I wanted to take the book in. We did 520 last week. Unless your righteousness, the genuine goodness of God exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you won't, um, you won't get the kingdom. And then today, Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. Did anybody use this phrase this week? That's perfect. Anybody? Do you, do you remember? My guess is you probably did. I did. A I'm assuming on multiple occasions where uh, somebody's doing something for you and like, oh, that's perfect. Or you're setting up a meeting. Hey, where are you going to meet? Let's meet at such and such. And you go, what do you say? Oh, that's perfect. Thank you so much. Or uh, for some of you whose uh, um, kind of native tongue is sarcasm, you might have said something along the lines of, well, that's perfect. You know how that goes. So uh, this is the word that we're picking up today is the word perfect. And in the Bible, when the Bible talks about it, it is, um, it is something along the lines of whole or complete. And that's what we're after today. And so Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. Here's Jesus. You therefore must be, everybody with me? Everybody with me? Say it. You therefore must be what? Perfect. You must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. So you must be complete or whole as your heavenly father is complete or whole. And I don't want to skip past the important word there, the therefore. Uh, this has been said multiple times, and I just want to recognize that it's a good time to say it. Um, something along the lines like this. Uh, when you see a therefore in the Bible, you need to pause and figure out what the therefore is. Therefore, okay? And so um, the therefore uh, is, is building on. So, so his statement in chapter 5, verse 48, is building upon all the 27 verses that have preceded that. All the 27 uh, uh, verses that contain this amazing teaching about the kingdom of God and its power at work in our lives and how it deals with really practical things. And then he puts a summary statement on the end of it to say, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Take up the completion, wholeness, perfection of God. That's what we want to be about. That's what we want to do. So two questions this morning to get at this one verse. The first question is, how exactly is God perfect? How is God perfect? Um, if you are a, uh, um, a person who thinks about these kind of things, there's two ways that theologians have typically addressed this. I want to touch on them both this morning. Uh, first of all, he lacks nothing. That's an important thing to say. When we talk about God being perfect, he lacks nothing. Um, there is no imperfection. There is no blemish. There is no fault. There is no flaw. Uh, there is nothing, uh, there's no, if you will, chink in the armor. Um, there is no place for him 
uh, to improve. <clears throat> a couple of verses here that will pop up. I strung these two together, and so you'll see the two references. But it says this, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. That's First John chapter 1, verse 5. It's really critical that we get that. Uh, because uh, there is light and there's no darkness. There is no um, imperfection in him. He lacks nothing. And because that's who he is, then what he does, Psalm 18, verse 30, as for this God, his way is perfect. There's our word. His way is perfect. So out of, out of his identity, out of his personhood of perfection flows these perfected Ways And so if you had God sitting down and you were going to interview him and you say, tell me about your background, tell me about your family, uh, tell me about your skill set, tell me about uh, your strengths. Now, and okay, thank you so much for that. Tell me about your weaknesses. He'd sit there and kind of rub his forehead and go, yeah, I don't think I really have any. And it would not be arrogance. It would be reality. It would be reality. So. When we say uh, he lacks nothing, what we are saying is, is there is nothing in him that shouldn't be there. And there is nothing, excuse me, uh, there, there is nothing to be added that will somehow make him better. Now, here's just to illustrate that. Did anybody over the course of uh, corona life uh, and quarantine life, did anybody add to their cooking skills over the course of that time? So, you know, you just can't, you can't go out to eat. You can't just pick up. So, uh, yeah, you've had to learn to do this. Otherwise, you're eating a whole lot of spaghetti and waffles, right? I mean, you with me on this? So uh, th- this is the thing. It's true in the Henderson household as well. Um, and uh, w- when you come to something, and I'm, I'm just picking something at random here, but when you come to it, you're like, hey, uh, I-, I am looking for a really, really good steak marinade. And so you type in the Google machine. Um, I need a, a, the best steak marinade. And the first two or three things that'll pop up, one of them inevitably, inevitably will be titled Perfect Steak Marinade. You with me? So you click on that link and up comes this blog of this nice lady and she spends about five different scrolls telling you the story of how she came up with the perfect steak marinade interspersed between paragraphs um, are are ads for things that you're never going to buy and are frustrating you in this moment, but she has to monetize it. So this is what's happening. Off you go. And finally, you get down like 45 seconds later, you get down to the bottom where the recipe is and you say, oh, thank goodness. I've come to the moment where I can actually read the recipe for perfect steak marinade. And so you you start reading it. You need a quarter cup of this and a dash of this, and you're going to put some soy sauce in there and maybe a touch of lime juice and uh, sprinkle some, uh, maybe just a dash of cayenne pepper or whatever your, you know, this thing, a, a tablespoon of brown sugar, however it shakes out, whatever the recipe is. And then inevitably at the bottom, the, the like last sentence will be salt and pepper to taste. And you think to yourself, whoa, 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 whoa. If this is the perfect steak marinade, why am I salt and peppering to taste here? Why is my preference somehow um, more important than your perfect recipe? Why is my preference more important than your perfection? Does that ever happen in your relationship with God? God, I, I, I so appreciate who you are. I wish you were a little bit more like this. God, I thank you so much for who you are. I, can, we, can we ratchet that down just a touch here? God, though, is perfect. He is lacking nothing. There is no salt and pepper to taste. You can't add anything to him or take anything from him in order to make him better. He lacks nothing. 
Secondly, that's, that's the negative way to say that. I want to say it positively because it's not only that he lacks nothing, but also that he fills thoroughly. What do we mean by that? That everything that should be there is there, and it's there in its fullest and best expression. He fills thoroughly. So you think about God's love, um, and his love is filled up. It is thorough. Like the level of love that God has is the exact perfect level of love. Um, the Bible describes God as rich in mercy, and the mercy that God has is the exact perfect level of mercy. His justice, his justice, he has the exact perfect level of justice. And listen, we want it this way. Why? Because we got people who live down the street from us who frustrate us or voted differently than us or any number of other things, and we're having a hard time loving them. And the good news is, is that our level of love is right here, but God's level is perfect. So he helps us. He helps us love those who are around us. There are people in our lives, some of them are going to show up on Thursday. For those of you watching at home, you shall remain nameless, those that are uh, laughing about you in the room. They're going to show up on Thursday, and you will think to yourself, here I am, going to demonstrate as best as I know how mercy. And five minutes later, you will be out of mercy. But God's love and his mercy toward us, it's, it's perfect. It's full. He fills. He fills thoroughly. I want to illustrate this just uh, briefly. I'm going to need a helper, though. Can you be my helper? Do you mind coming up here? I, I promise I'll stand at a distance if you want to. Yeah, come on. You want to come? No? Yes, maybe? Okay, somebody come on. Come on, I'll stand at a distance here. Dave, you come on then. All right, Dave. David up, ladies and gentlemen. You go ahead and just grab that, and I'm going to. You, you tell me. I'm not going to toss this on you, I promise. Some of, how little he trusts people. How little is, no, 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 no. Okay, I'm going to fill this, and you tell me when it's full. Is it full yet? It's kind of full. Okay, here we go. There you go. That's oh, full? Oh. Stop? You want me to stop? Okay. No, I'm not going to stop. Is it full? It's full. It's full? It is full. It's not full. It's not full. It's, yeah, I'm very sure. Yeah, okay. No, no, wait, see, wait, watch, see, it's not full yet. Why are you shaking? What are you nervous about? Hey, why? Stop that. You're driven on Frank's stage here. He just came back and here you are, like, spilling stuff. Now is it full? It is definitely It's definitely full, so much so that if you, I mean, in a moment, just wiggled just a little bit, it would go, yeah, see, it's it's full. It's really, it's, oh, it's not yet? Okay, well, here, let's go ahead and, let's go ahead and make the, we actually, happen it You didn't know what you're getting. It's still going. What's your problem, man? Come on. Hold it together. David up, ladies and gentlemen. Previous two services had kids up here. They didn't spill. That's all I'm saying, man. I, I'm just teasing. They spilled too. What's the idea here? That we have, we have a definition. You heard him say, oh, it's full. But what was the deal? There was more room. In fact, it got to the point, just just to the point, where it was full and then perfectly full. If you stick too much, you kind of have a mess, right? But just perfectly full. This is God. This is God. 
back, back 40 years ago or so, there was an old choir song, gospel song, and the, the, the chorus went something along the lines of, Jesus paid much too high a price for me. And I'm telling you, that couldn't be more incorrect. He paid the exact right price, the full price for you and for me. He is perfect. That's how God is perfect. He lacks nothing in. He fills thoroughly. So the second question then, chapter 5, verse 48. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. We know how the heavenly Father is perfect now. How then do we become perfect if we are supposed to get to be like that? If we are supposed to uh, kind of have that as our goal, how are we supposed to get there? Two ways that we typically approach this that are terrible ways to do it. Let me just say they're terrible ways to do it. First of all, we go looking for a system or we try to design a system, create a system that is so perfect that I don't have to be good. That's what T.S. Eliot described as the modern human project. Design a system so perfect that I don't actually have to be moral and take up good character. Here's the thing, folks. We never will have a system in our world that is so perfect that we don't have to be good. And furthermore, that misses the heart of Jesus altogether. He didn't say, have a system that is perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. He said, you, you be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. There's transformation that Jesus wants to do in us. And the systems that we design, um, man, no matter what ism is your favorite system. The systems that we design are only as good as the components. And if the components aren't good, they will not be good. The systems won't be good either. Legalism, folks, and no matter how it expresses itself, adherence to a system or a, a certain set of things, it will never get you there. Secondly, it'll actually only weigh you down. Uh, secondly, don't, don't redefine good for your own comfort or your own pleasure, which is the other way most people do it these days. Either I'm going to trust in a system that's so good that it doesn't require me, anything of me, or I, you know what? It, I realize that's too much. I'm just going to just redefine good. So what used to be bad is now called good. What used to be right is now called wrong, or what used to be wrong is now called right. I'm just going to redefine because why? I want it that way. It's for my own comfort. It's for my own pleasure. Therefore, I'm going to just redefine good. Folks, that will never get you to the kind of perfection that God wants you to have. It will never get you to the kind of wholeness and completion that God wants you to have. It won't get you there. What do we do instead? I just pause one more time and say, hey, look, relativism, relativism, boy, it could cause a wreck in a hurry. It is filled. It is a place. It is a thought. It is a system that is filled with carnage. It really is. And it betrays its own principles because not, not everything that, not, not all things are equal. Not all viewpoints um, are equally valid. You really do reap what you sow. Relativism says, no, that's not always the case. No, you really do. So don't, don't jump into redefining good for yourself. Don't jump into a system where you don't have to be good at all. Instead, two things. Here's how we become perfect. First of all, we embrace this as a project for me. Like I, in my own life, I embrace it. I take responsibility, if you will, for my own spiritual growth. I cooperate with the Spirit. I'm not just going to sit on the couch and go, okay, here I am. Go ahead. Make the magic happen. I'm ready. 
We will be formed. If, that, if that's our approach um, to our spiritual life, we will be formed. We, we will never be transformed. We will never experience the wholeness and completeness of God that he desires for you and me. If we're sitting back and passively just going, okay, God, you go right ahead, we will miss out. We get to cooperate with God um, in these kinds of things. It requires a kind of intention for us to say, God, I want to pursue this. I am embracing this as my own project. Count me in on becoming like this. That's what we're after. And there will be times it expresses itself very practically. This is not some ethereal thing, but in my intention to become like this, I then rearrange my life around that intention. And as I do so, there will be practical things that I have to kind of let go of and some uh, practical things that I have to take hold of. And Jesus mentions several uh, in, in the book of Matthew chapter 5 where anger and desires and marriage and on and on and on, right? We, very practical things. Later in the book in Matthew chapter 19, um, he encounters a rich young man who comes up to him and says, Jesus, what, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That's a good question to the right guy. Let's start there. Good question. Right guy to ask that question to. Jesus said, oh, okay. Become the kind of person who keeps the law. Well, which part of the law? Well, you know, don't murder, don't steal some stuff, honor your mom and dad. Let's start there. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. I, I've, I've done all this since I was little. What else? Jesus kind of, in my mind, he kind of just, you know, strokes his beard. He says, I tell you what, one thing you still lack, and then listen to what he says. Listen, if you want to be perfect, that's our word. If you want to be perfect, he says to him, if you want to be perfect, sell everything you have, give the proceeds to the poor, come follow me, you'll have treasure in heaven. There will be times when we give up some things. There will be times when we take up some things. Sell everything you have, give the proceeds to the poor. Come follow me, you'll have treasure in heaven. This is... We, we have to take responsibility for this. We have to embrace this as our own project to say, I'm in on this. I'm taking responsibility for my uh, spiritual life. I, I am, uh, I promise you, God, I am, I am intending to become this kind of person. And then I'm going to rearrange my life um, to make that to be so. This is Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. Here's what he says. Work out your own salvation. That sounds a lot like embracing this as a project. It sounds a lot like be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So this is serious business. And then listen to this. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So I'm not out there on my own. Just, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. God is at work in me, and he's at work in me to change me such that I am transformed, beginning at the level of the heart and working its way outwards. I'm I'm transformed. The will of my life, the desires of my life are changed, and then the actions follow. To will and to work. For his good pleasure. You do not. There is no current in your life that pushes you, um, that will help you drift towards spiritual transformation. There's not a current in our culture. There's not a current um, in your life anywhere, church included, that will help you drift to that. You have to choose it. You have to intend to, uh, for that to be the case. Otherwise, you will be stuck in a kind of mediocrity uh, and absurdity, and that will become your accepted norm. Instead... We can trust and we want 
Jesus. We will go to work for Jesus to transform us and not just part of your life, but your entire personhood. And I want to give you just a picture of what this kind of looks like. I stole this straight out of a book called Renovation of the Heart by Dallas Willard, one of my favorite authors. Um, and this, this is kind of your life in circle, concentric circle form. That the, the word of God and the power of God come in and where do they, where do they aim? They aim at the heart. And if Jesus gets in there and he conquers that, if Jesus lays claim to your heart, the very center of who you are, then what happens? Then it begins to work itself out, that little dotted line. It begins to work itself outward through the rest of my personhood. So when Jesus lays claim to my heart, the the, the core of who I am, then my thoughts will follow. And so it expresses itself, again, very practically in things like um, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed how? By the renewing of your mind. Second Corinthians said, take every thought captive according to the obedience of Christ. And so the way that we think and the way that we view the world, if you will, our worldview then begins to change because Jesus has laid hold of our hearts. Our worldview, our, the way that we think begins to change. And then what comes after that is as it works its way out because our ideas have something attached to them called feelings. Did anybody's feelings get out of whack this week? Some of that happens because we take that kind of uh, a third circle and we, we relocate it to the center and our feelings are at the center of our lives. But we've said around here, I don't know how many times, uh, feelings are great companions, but they are terrible guides. And so um, we need to put them in proper perspective and realize that those feelings are attached to specific thoughts, they're to specific ideas. And so um, as we um, are transformed in our hearts and as our thoughts come around, our feelings begin um, to come around. They begin to change. And because feelings bubble right underneath the surface of our actions, whether our bodies uh, are responding with adrenaline or something else, um, our, the, the way that our physical life is... is um, uh, it, it happens in, in the world. That begins to change. And because we begin to act differently, then we uh, begin, the world around us begins to feel the impact of his transformation. The social sphere begins to change. This is how Jesus wants to be at work in us. And he doesn't want to change a part of your life. Some people think, oh, Jesus is in the business of changing my actions. Or he wants to help me with my anxiety. He does want to change your actions, and he does want to help you with your anxiety, but he wants to do it in a certain order because if he captures the heart, the rest of it will follow. Now, I just I want to recognize here that some of us have struggled with this for quite some time. And we, we think to ourselves, I don't, man, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect, I'm out. I, like we've, I don't know, I, I can't. And I want, to, I want to point you, many of you in here are parents, um, but even if you're not, just, just picture this with me. Uh, you remember back when your toddler was not yet a toddler and was just learning to take small steps, right? Diaper, waddling around like the uh, uh, Stay Puft Marshmallow Man in Ghostbusters, right? This is him or her, right? And then, um, you know, because you're a dad, uh, you're like, come on, it's just two steps. Come on, you can do it. And you step back like you did in the swimming pool when you're teaching them to swim. Like you step back and, you know, they, they take four steps. And then you're like, come on, do it again. And you step back eight steps. At some point, though, they waddle. And what inevitably happens? <whistles> right? Crash and burn. Yay! 
Some of you carry guilt on that and think, oh man, I'm so sorry. Some of you are like, come on, you can do it. Not a soul looked at that kid and says, dumb kid. Can't believe you fell. Loser. Uh, How many of you in here have taught a kid to ride a bike? When I taught uh, my older ones um, to ride a bike, uh, they didn't have the watch with the circles to be closed because if they did, my circles long would have been closed, right? Like when you go to teach a kid to ride a bike, I'm just telling you, you figure out just how bad out of shape you really are because you like got the handlebar, kids sit here and you got the seat back behind, you start running along and you let go of the handlebar, you can do it, keep pedaling and you're holding on and eventually they start pedaling fast enough that it gets out of your hand and off they go and they're like, I'm doing it, dad, I'm doing it. Then you're like, turn, turn, it's a tree, turn. And they get up to the ah, crash and burn, knees bleeding, scraped. You, you were prepared, so you pull the wet paper towel out. You go over and you wipe the knee off. Come on, you can do this. We got this. Come on, hop back up. Let's get, let's get back on the bike and do it again. So off you go, sweating through your second T-shirt already. I mean, you do it and you do it. At no point, though, do you roll over to that kid who's on the ground underneath a bike, bleeding, and you go, dumb kid. I told you to turn. Come on. Some of you are old enough to celebrate milestones with your kids. Graduations, marriages, birth of children. Some of you are old enough to know that your kids have had a hard time. And so you've stepped into the role of the one who consoles. Listen. Some of you may think, hey, listen, that wasn't my dad. He was the one who yelled at me. It it may have been your dad, but it's not your father. Listen, the, the one who says of himself, if you, you, all of us being evil, know how to give good gifts to your kids... How much more does your heavenly father give you? So you think to yourself, here I am, God, me and my diaper. We're just kind of making it through. I'm perfect, heavenly father. God doesn't come over and go, I can't believe you. I'm riding, God. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. Turn. I'm doing it. Turn. I'm doing it. God doesn't show up going, I told you to turn. There have been moments where you have celebrated, and I just want you to know God celebrated with you. And there have been moments when you needed consolation, and God stuck his arm right around you and said, here's consolation. Listen to me. It may not have been your dad, but it is your father. And so when he says, be perfect, as your heavenly father is perfect, I'm telling you, that's something worth striving for. That's something worth striving for. Secondly, um, under this how do, how do we actually do this? It's not only a project for me, myself, to embrace. It's also a project for us, for us to embrace. If you um, are a person who writes in your Bible, feel free to write out beside verse uh, 48 there. You, therefore, must be perfect. That you is plural. So in Texan speak, we call that y'all. So just write down there, y'all be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. If Jesus showed up in a cowboy hat and boots, that's exactly what he would have said. Y'all be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And listen, not like spiritual superclass y'all, but the most Texan of Texan things, all y'all 
be perfect. This is not for an individual, and it's not for a special class. This is for everybody here. All y'all be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And listen, it's, it's for us, for us as a church family, as a project to embrace, and the church to embrace. Furthermore, if we're not about this, like, what are we doing? What are we doing? Um, we, we need to step into this project. We need to offer hope. We need to offer uh, something that matters. We need to offer eternity. All y'all be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. This is Colossians chapter 1, uh, verse 28. We proclaim him, teaching and admonishing everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone, what? Perfect. There's our word perfect in Christ. The idea is everybody's in on this. We as individuals are committed to this and we as a church family are committed to this. It is a project for us to embrace. Last comment here is some of us feel like, hey, thanks for the illustration and the bike riding and all that kind of stuff. But man, I've been at it and I think I'm ready to give up and I'm really confident that God's ready to give up on Some of you in the room right now, that's exactly where you are. Some of you at home, that's exactly where you are. And I want to put this particular verse from Philippians chapter 1 before you and say this. He, that's God, who began a good work in you, will be faithful to complete it, to perfect it. That's our word. It's our word. To bring it to its fullness, to make it whole. He will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. So I've got great news for you. If you're on the struggle bus and you're just kind of barely wading through, about ready to throw the towel in, and you know that God's ready to throw the towel in on you, I just want to tell you this. It is not your ability to follow that this project hangs on. It is God's ability to be faithful to you while you figure out how to follow. That's what this thing hangs on. So don't give up. God hasn't given up. He who began a good work in you, he will be faithful to bring it to completion, wholeness, perfection until the day of Christ Jesus. He is not going to stop working in you. He's not going to. He will not excuse your um, silliness. He will not excuse your sin. He will not excuse your stupidity. But he is not going to give up on you. How do we know that? What guarantee do we have? In John chapter 19, Jesus is on the cross, bearing our sins, dying in our place, and accomplishing the Father's will. And as he's hanging there, he looks down and goes, I'm thirsty. And they give him a little, just a little moisture for his lips. And then in chapter 19, verse 30, Since having received this, he cried out with a loud voice, It is finished, complete, perfected. That's our word. Jesus dies on the cross in the very last phrase that comes out of his mouth before he surrenders his body to death and surrenders his spirit to the Father is, It is finished perfected, completed, made whole. It is finished. 
And the reason we know that God won't give up on you is because Jesus didn't. He saw it through to the very end. And if you're here this morning in this room, or if you're watching at home, I just want you to know Jesus paid not some of the price. He paid the full price for you. The exact price that was required for you. And when he did, um, he initiated a process by which then you can become a follower of, of his. And if you want to give your life to Christ today, I want you to know you will find a savior who has said, I finished that work for you. No, no um, work that you have to bring to the table here in order to be made right. I'm doing it. And I'm going to go to work in you to willing to work for my good pleasure. If you're at home, you want to comment in the comments or uh, in the, whatever platform you're on, you're in the room and you want to send us an email or respond here in a moment, I just want to invite you to respond and say this. I, God, I know that you finished this on my behalf and I want to put my trust in you. Some of you are here and you're watching at home maybe and you think to yourself, hey, I've got that part squared away and figured out. But listen, there's some other things in my life I'm about to give up. I feel like I'm going to fall. I'm not sure I'm going to make it. Listen, whatever the Holy Spirit has put his finger on, I want to invite you to set that before God. Because he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ. You can be perfect if your heavenly father is perfect. Let me pray for us and then we'll have a moment to reflect before I dismiss us. Um, father, in Jesus' name and for the sake of his kingdom here among these people and those watching at home, I pray that you will bring to completion everything that needs to be brought to completion now. God, if there is a person in the room who doesn't know you, I pray that by your spirit you would draw that person to yourself. If there's somebody watching at home, God, I pray that you would make your love and mercy known to them in a way that draws them to you. And I pray that any person in here or at home who has a particular spot, a particular thing, a segment of their life, and they're just ready to toss it in, God, I pray that you would stick your finger on that and say, let's do this. Let's do this together. So I ask on, on behalf of everybody here and watching, and certainly on behalf of the kingdom, that this would be, this would be our reality here, our experience here. And if God has just set his finger on something, this would be a moment for you to simply set them, set that before him, surrender it to him. To put your yes on the table and say, God, this is what I'm intending. And I'll rearrange my life in order to make that happen, but this is what I'm intending. Spirit of God, as you've made that clear now, sow it deep, deep down into us. Get past the junk, get past the distraction, get past the it's the stuff that we're worried about. Move past all of that stuff and plant it deep in our hearts. That's what I ask now in Jesus' name.